The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast are those of the host slash guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any of BXR entities and those they represent. trying to share the show out while we were talking welcome 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 people oops i didn't shut my door while we were talking one second people I'm feeling much better now. There's still too much light in here. That's better. How's it going, people? How's it going, people? How's it going? How's it going? How's it going? I'm here. Um. Oh. This week has been different in so many different ways. And um, I'm really just focusing on getting better and refocusing my energy and just being a healthier, happier person in life. Um, if you are interested and being on the Artist Exchange, getting your brand seen, um, promoting your events, your products, your services, your businesses, um, definitely hit us up at either the Artist Exchange Radio Show at gmail.com or at info at beexposedradio.com. We are starting to have, we will be starting to have uh, guests in the September month. Um, August, it will just be myself. And Blue may not be here today. Um, he is a professional. So sometimes he's called for work after hours, um, <laughs> some after hours uh, positions. Uh, but um, today is just, it's a free day and I'm not gonna stress myself out. Um, I woke up Wednesday and I had a stiff, um, I had a stiff ankle and it was really around my Achilles heel. And uh, when I went to the emergency room last night, they said it may just be stressed because nothing looks strained or sprained or broken. Um, and I may have just overused it. Um, we have been moving in, I have been moving in the last week. So Friday of last week was my first day um, here fully. And um, it's been, about a week or so since I've been here. And I'm really just excited and happy and just, um, just excited and happy and grateful. I think gratitude is something that I am full of right now. And I'm really excited about all the many possibilities that this new 
um, turn, this new space, this new beginning is given to me and I can feel it already. A shout out to all the people that continue to support me. I had a number of people come through here today. I miss Natasha uh, uh, came through here. Miss Natasha Pratt-Harris, Dr. Natasha Pratt-Harris came through here today um, and showed her face and support. Um, and I just feel this a new opening. Um, the test is real and I feel like I've definitely been tested a lot over the last um, couple months, um, especially recently in the last month, uh, but I'm really excited about just all the possibilities. I'm getting to work with some really phenomenal um, artists and models and professionals. Um, who is calling me? Um, professionals in the last couple um, months. The models for Baltimore Fashion Week have been phenomenal um, in terms of their attitude. We've had a couple, you know, not so professionals, but even within that, um, um, things have definitely began to turn around. Um, so just thankful to many of them who have been participating and just doing what the job is, has required. So I'm really excited about what that means and how we will all be um, moving. So that's it. Um, today, I wanna to talk about a couple of different things. Um, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Bonnie has sent me a, a song um, that I realized um, who I thought uh, created it was not the creator. And I'm gonna look into that because I didn't, I never knew that, but he sent me um, Deliver Me. Um, and it was supposed to be a duet between Brandy and who was the other gentleman, Marnie? Um, Sir the Baptist. The who? Sir the Baptist. Sir the Baptist. I, just, uh, I need you to get that name. But, uh, um, and allegedly they were in a relationship and he cheated on Brandy and all that. Um, uh, but that song, I really, I listened to Leandra's Leandria's version of that song and um, uh, a lot. Uh, and it's a it's an interesting song because it's it's more of one of those plea type of songs where you're you are at a space of just needing to be delivered and um, you you're you're really searching for a breakthrough. And I thought that this move would break me in a way that um, I wasn't prepared for. I'm not, you know, most people who know me know that change is not something that I do well and something that I enjoy. I'm a creature of habit. And I, I um, say that in a way where I, I do move forward and I do change and grow and, and accept new opportunities, but the, the, the position of change, where, where change brings us, is not an always comfortable space for me because I had to learn how to, despite um, what I like and what I what I do, I've had to learn how to break some habits, um, separate myself from individuals and just grow in abundance. And because of that, I'm learning how to just adjust 
how I move. <clears throat> um, not necessarily, and I think some people think you need to continuously change who you are. At the core, I am Nate. I am a supportive friend. I'm a supportive person in general, supportive family member. I'll always be there when people need me to be, for the most part. Um, I'm learning how to say no or I can't when, I, I, and when it's hurting me or when I just can't do it. Um, like this weekend, it was really hard for me to say no to so many different things, um, but I knew I had to figure out how to do those things. And when you are obedient to your calling and to your, you know, um, your journey and to God, things open up and, and things become available to you. So I, 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 have tendency, I have a tendency not to stress anymore. Sometimes people take that um, the wrong way um, as if I don't care or if, if, as if I don't have concern for things. And that's not the truth. The truth really is I am, um, my patience and my peace and my calm is definitely for my sanity and for my well-being. And there, there are moments where my hot temperature uh, unjustifiably shows itself um, because sometimes it's cold. Sometimes people need to see and feel and understand what they've done. Because often people, um, they speak on your reaction to things as if they weren't the cause of it. Or they speak on things that you've said or you've done in a reaction moment uh, because they have not taken a re good responsibility in what their role or their assignment or their actions were. And I'm, I'm learning how to not focus on, on people. I had a great conversation with an old friend yesterday um, who hopefully I can get her on the show soon. Well, she was on the show, uh, Tavon. She was on the show uh, last month. Um, and we had a, a nice conversation just about um, holding on to things. And sometimes when I speak on things, or in today's world, when we speak on things, people accuse you of holding on to it. But sometimes you, that's the way you're letting it go, by speaking on it. And um, I guess that's the topic for today, is speaking on the things that you need to get rid of. You know, is it healthy to speak on things? And when does it turn into a non-healthy uh, thing? And um, I'm learning that in this, this struggle. Um, I knew this year of my life would be very difficult because 29 was difficult, 19 was difficult. Um, because those times were always, 19 was my first year away from home. Nine was going into Going, coming from this safety net that elementary school was for me and going into um, a middle school where I had to mature and grow and, and be um, different and do things, start doing things on my own. 29 was an age where um, 
29 went so fast that I really can't remember a lot from 29, but I know it was the year before a lot of stuff, a year before a lot of first. So that 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 quiet before the storm uh, life lesson became extremely real to me uh, at 29. What I'm starting to realize at 39 now is, um, you know, things that we want to change, you plan to change, it's, it's time to actually make it happen. Um, it's a time to actually make, um, first of all, I'm not 52, I'm 39, you're 52. Um, so let's get that together. Marnie has a lot of jokes. Um, and if you wanna add to the conversation or make any comments or remarks, uh, definitely call in at 443-642-9403. Uh, Again, the lines are open at 443-642-9403. Um, and I'm, you know, being at peace, most people think you are in a certain place in your life to have peace. And you can be in the midst of a chaotic storm. Fitting that the last couple days, it, well, last week or so, it rained practically every day. Um, but in the midst of a storm, you can be in your 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 safe space. You can be in a calm space and really, you know, be good with you know you and what you want and your desires and really. Um, um, yeah, um, I don't know, I just, a, a lot of stuff I don't want to talk about anymore, but I think the lessons from it have been so beneficial to me and been so, um, this thought provoking, and it, it makes me pause a lot to, uh, experience it. Um, this past week um, for me has been, it hasn't necessarily been a lesson. It, it, there was a lesson in it, but it, it showed me yet again how resilient, how strong, how determined I am. Um, having to get around with my, with my Achilles heel being so inflamed. Um, and part of me was like, Nate, you got to sit down, you got to, you know, you gotta, you know, let it heal. And and the other part of me was trying to figure out creative ways to get the things done that I need to get done. Cause typically, you know, when stuff like this happened, I would shut down, I would cancel stuff. Um, but I had to realize one one of two things. So if something is killing you, stop. But sometimes you have to pain will full focus you to refocus your energy. I'll say that again. Pain will force you to refocus your energy and focus on the things that mean, mean the most to you. Um, so if you're in a space of doing things creatively for yourself and in terms of what I'm doing right now, how do I get those things done? It's easy for me to say, you know what? I don't feel like doing this or calling up saying, hey, I'm not feeling good. Let me just but it's sometimes it's, it's, it's the moment. Sometimes you're, you're absolutely right to take a seat back, sit back. But there are other times where you have to just 
muscle through and figure out how to get through in a moment. Um, and I've been blessed with a lot of individuals and circumstances that have allowed me to just move forward. And there's typically things that I did not want to do that I chose to still go with that have been the most beneficial in my life, aside from the individuals that I've been blessed with. And um, friendship means more to me now than it ever has, because calling somebody a friend means that they are there for you, not just when you need something, but it just something that that's just happened. And, and it just happens in a moment. And I've had friends come through when I was, you know, at my brokest points in terms of internalness and been able to just bless me with their presence or with their time or their energy or their man powers or their hands or whatever and just be there in that moment. And, you know, I'm starting to look at friendship much differently than I ever have. I was never a person that was so hyped over friendship. And and, it, and that's one reason because it it came to me so easily. I made friends so easily without even having to um, to do anything. You know, a lot of my friendships happen because of environments that I found myself in creatively um, or non-creatively, really. But I'm learning to count friendships in a different way than I ever have before because. Um, yeah, I'm just, it's just different for me. Um, what I, what I had planned on talking today with Blue about was just, um, change in general. Um, and why is it? so hard for some and so easy. Some people I know change is an everyday thing for them. It matters to them. Like, you know, I have a friend who can just move or be or have things happen from second to second and he's fine with it. He can thrive in that. And for me, I look like I'm fine with it, but just understand I've given that decision so much thought before I had to make the decision. Because sometimes I just find myself daydreaming in, in this and in thought about my life and certain things about my life. And this is my life in general often. And I've something has popped up in my mind and I it because it did it so you know naturally, I would find myself focused on it and thinking about it. And it really, well, I, I ultimately will make a decision. And then somehow I will store that decision away for when I have to make a decision like that. And then like even moving, I have prayed to God to put me in a space and to remove people and show me who people are and place me where he wants me. And now I'm sitting here. Um, and that is the part of change that I had to 
to like get real about because I was asking God in my prayers for things. I was asking for things. And then when it would come, it did not come in the layout that I prayed for it in, but it was what I asked for. Um, and the what I asked for had to be discovered in that change. Um, and even this space, as new as it is, it was a part of prayer. So when when I when I had to move, when I had to make the decision to move, it really um it was everything was easy, even though um I had not really planned for it. And it, it was easier. Had I planned it, it may not have gone as smoothly. Things may not have lined up. The people would not have lined up the way they did because I really didn't have to call anybody to help me pack or help me move. Things lined up and the people were there in place when I needed them. Um, I'm learning how to plan more and better. I'm learning how to um, refocus that energy and really um, given to just the spontaneity of life. Um, and I was always a person that played it safe. And I did some adventurous things, but again, like I said, everything was planned for, everything was, um, everything was thought about before I um, did it or before the, the decision was put in front of me. I already thought about that scenario. Um, and I do that. I don't know why, where that came from in me, but I, I just always, what ifs were always floating around in my head. And I would think about it, think about it, think about it, and discover ways to get out of that box or reignite that box. And it was just, it was just an interesting process. It has been an interesting process seeing it unfold in this part of my life, because before I would fight it, because it did not look like what I was asking for. I didn't associate the prayer that I may have prayed a month ago, two days ago, a couple minutes ago, with what was being presented to me. And now I'm learning that when things happen, whether it looks like confusion or change or whatever, an opportunity to step back and look at it before I jump into a reaction. Uh, or even a decision, you know, because then I've realized, oh, I've thought about this before. So let me do this. Let me do this. Let me do that. Um, and that's how this move was for me. Um, it, it was, it felt like I had already been there um, and already had thought about it in a way as though I was able to sit back and the month that it took me to really move, I was able to pack up everything in my mind, know what had to go where. And despite it being kind of a bumpy end of the road, it was smooth, as smooth as it was, I would say, uh, because I had thought it out. But that's my, my, my conversation on, on, on change. Uh, I'll, if we can't chime into the conversation today, I'm going to continue with next Friday. Um, and we're here. 
you know, um, I've been planning for this, I'm gonna say for two months. Um, and uh, next year, hopefully I'll have more time. Sean asked me back um, to do both Small Fashion Week next year as a designer. Um, and I hope to um, really be in a position where it's bigger, it's more me, I can put more into it. Um, so Fashion Week is here. Tomorrow is the Impact Awards. Um, and this this coming week, um, this coming week we are um, we are starting Fashion Week. So some, this coming weekend is really busy for me. Um, we have Baltimore Fashion Week. Um, I'm just uh, messaging. So Baltimore Fashion Week starts tomorrow the 13th um, with the Impact Awards at Center Stage. Most of the events will happen at Center Stage. Uh, I also am um, supporting one of my friends this weekend. See, see Natasha Richburg. She's an author um, and we'll be going to an event for her tomorrow as well, as well as in the morning, I'll be stopping by the Pill Center, which I haven't been at in a very long time, to um, uh, their grand reopening of their space. If you forgot the space down on Holiday Street across from City Hall and the Municipal Building um, has gone over, gone through a couple years of renovations. It started a year before the pandemic and it's just finishing now, like I think that's four years. Uh, of renovations. I think it's been five years of renovations, actually. Um, so I'll be there uh, Saturday, those three events. Sunday, I get a little break. Um, I'm, I'm working on a production that I've been, that's coming to its close, actually, with the You Thought I Was Here project. And we have our first official day of uh, rehearsals um, for the process on this coming um sunday uh so we're now in a rehearsal process we'll be um doing a um podcast introducing you to the cast soon that'll be promoted soon um and more information on tickets and all that stuff and it opens in november so the great thing about planning ahead is that it's easy to unfold the plan um and it's, it's a better strategy uh, Monday is the actual off the rack portion of Baltimore Fashion Week. Um, so it's the second day of Fashion Week, uh, technically, and we'll be um, down at center stage again. Um, it's myself. The show opens with Rashad Bateman. Um, he's a Baltimore Raven. Um, and he'll be debuting um, some samples from his soon to be collection, clothing collection. Um, then we have Sterling. Um, she is a stylist. Um, next will be Sharon Nixon, actually the founder and owner of Baltimore Fashion Week. Um, she'll be um, organizer of Baltimore Fashion Week. She'll be um, some uh, displaying her online boutique, some fashions from her online boutique. Um, and then I'll end the show with um, some looks, some accessory looks that I've created uh, specifically for the show. 
uh, Tuesday, we'll be down at the uh, Be More Scrap. Again, this is one of my favorite art spaces because it's more like a thrift shop. And people who know me know I love thrift shops, but it's like a thrift shop for art supplies. Um, art supplies can be very costly, um, buying them at retail prices, even wholesale prices. But this space is dedicated to students and crafters, and artists alike that um, gives individuals a cost-effective way to buy and source art supplies. So we'll be doing a live question and answer from Be More Scrap down Bar Street. Uh, I don't believe there's anything on Wednesday. Thursday, I believe, is an interview with all the designers and some models. Um, Friday, there's a meet and greet with at a restaurant. I believe it's out in Randallstown, I believe. Um, and then we finish the week off uh, break on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we finish with the designer showcase, uh, the big fashion show. Uh, all Most of the activities, with the exception of the virtual Thursday, Friday at a restaurant, Tuesday at Be More Scrap. Everything else will be at um, uh, <laughs> my mind is going blank. We'll be at Center Stage down on Calvert Street, 700, I think it's 714 North Calvert Street. Um, so come on out. Um, if you go to our social media pages for the Artist Exchange, for Vashtop Blue Jewelry, for me, Artist Nate, on Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, now TikTok, some TikTok. Um, you'll find all the information for Monday show, and then I'll be showcasing all the other events as we continue throughout the week. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited. Um, but Marnie, are you there? Did you get my message? Oh yeah, I'm getting it set up. I heard. I think. Okay. Uh, but if you want to promote, you want to market, you want to advertise. Hit us up, the artist exchange radio show at gmail.com. Um, and we will um we'll be glad to help you with those marketing brands. Sorry, my mind is just blanking right now. And I don't know why. But um I'm very excited about what's to come and what we're doing. So we'll be right back uh on the artist exchange radio show. Um, I think the commercial break is actually football on past week. So check it out. Get your tickets for Monday. Uh, I've been working really hard. My models have been doing a phenomenal job of being patient and being professional and being poised. My favorite three P's, P's to professionalism. Um, and yeah, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back here on the Artist Exchange Radio Show, only on BigsHoseRadio.com. This was my boy, Emmett Till.
I got a letter today from Auntie Lizzie. She said, Bo's been working the fields. Oh. <laughs> I can't imagine. Oh, he just doesn't understand how different things are in Mississippi. Are you listening? Yes. Be small down there. Like this? Emmett never thought anything would happen to him. Eat the mummy, Simmy! Ow! <laughs> he just wanted to go on vacation and have fun with his cousins. But if my son could just get his feet back onto the Chicago soil, he'd be one happy kid. I don't know why I said that. I want to talk to you about that boy. They've come for you. It's hard to describe what a mother knows. The first thing I noticed when I became a mother was that my hands were busy all the time. My hand knew him with my eyes closed, just like I know his laughter in a crowded room. It's the same thing when you know all of someone. This was my boy, Emmett Till. The body of Emmett Lewis Till has been found dead. Can I at least just fix him up a bit? No, they have to see it for themselves. You tell me, Mamie, how is risking your life gonna help you? Those pictures of your son change people's lives. I can't look, Mamie. We have to. The lynching of my son has shown me that what happens to any of us anywhere in the world had better be the business of us all. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Artist Exchange Radio Show here live only. Who is Naja Dorsey? Welcome back. Welcome back to the Artist Exchange Radio Show here live only on uh, Be Exposed Radio. Oops. I can't. Okay. I'm just going to show up like this. So uh, joining us right now. Uh, is Miss Miss Chastity? Uh, uh, what's the name of your show again? Oh, you better live, and that's what it is because you know you do live for me. You better live that's every it. Thursday. Every Thursday, I, I managed to watch most of her show yesterday. Uh, and I mean, you you were doing it. I, I still need to know where you got those monkeys from. Um, <laughs> because I told you I'm gonna get you some, so don't even worry about it. You got some hot topics on your mind right now. Um, everything is hot going on, uh, Nate. Not uh, necessarily. Um, I was looking at some updates on, um, you know, the recent homicides here 
um, mm-hmm. with a young lady who lost her life. So that was just something where I was just stuck in the moment, actually mm-hmm. crying, um, because that is definitely just, you know, one of them ugh, trying, 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 trying moments in times here in Baltimore City. Um, and I'm just at a loss for words. But I just was coming to join you today. Well, I appreciate it because I really needed you today because my co-host is not here. So I'm going to ask you um, to go. I don't know why you sent it. You got to move over some or turn your phone or your the other way. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm on the laptop today. Oh, okay. So... So I'm going to ask you, uh, I was about to take another break, but can you get into that topic and I'm going to join you? What's that? About the young lady in the yeah. who lost her life? Mm-hmm. Um, it is just unfortunate, you know, um, Nate, coming from a background and working with an organization who, you know, advocate for youth. Um, you know, my attitude about it has always been in a position um, when it comes to, you know, kids and the uh, you know, in the justice system was for them to, you know, receive services um, versus being detained um, and in that aspect of being institutionalized. Um, But I do also recognize, you know, I never could understand when I work with some of those children, I would go down to the courts and the parents would say, I'm done or I'm tired. I'm done with them. You deal with them, Miss Dorsey. And I never really could get that concept um, of that door, but you know, people are tired, and um, I don't know, my heart is just heavy, 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 heavy right now. Um, first, I would just like to say my deepest condolences and thoughts um, to the family of um, the young lady, Miss Strada, um, also to the young man's family. I know that they're, they're going through some things too, um, but it's just an unfortunate, <laughs> a devastating situation with. Um, both the victim um, and the the perpetrator being children, it just touches a soft space um, in my heart <laughs> in regards to this. Um, I just seen a family speaking out, um, whoever was the young brother, I believe is the cousin or something, speaking on behalf of the family. He did very well in verbalizing and communicating what their concerns were. Um, I was very impressed. Um, it's just unfortunate because some of the things that I'm hearing is that what we know um, in our Black culture and in our society is that um, when our people transition, it's always some foolishness, it's always some messiness. Um, People tend to make the loss of that individual um, about them um, versus, you know, what's exactly um, at hand. Um, But it's just so much going on with that situation um, in addition to all of the other situations that we have here in Baltimore City. Um, and it's just, it's, it's devastating. It, it definitely saddens me. Um, like I was speaking, definitely <laughs> uh, walked away, but just like I was saying that um, me coming from an organization who advocated diligently um, for kids for over a, um, a decade, um, for children not to be detained. I went down in the courts, down DJS, um, vigorously. I was known um, for that personnel of that company that I work for to go down there and wholeheartedly um, push for these kids to be released 
um, push for us to have the opportunity to work with them and connect them to resources and kind of act as a mentor um, and help them along the way. Um, however, I guess um, I'm, I'm no longer in that field. I, I just left, um, actually. Um, but the prevention side of it, and I guess I would say the, the intervention side of it, definitely needs to be um, increased. Um, currently, how it's set up is like when a child sometimes can't be connected to those type of services and support until they do commit a crime or they do do something that is, you know, illegal, may not necessarily be criminal, but them's them necessary to have any type of involvement in that system. Um, but for over that decade, I've heard parents, guardians cry out um, for children who, who they consider um, were trouble or at risk um, to potentially be involved in that legal system as a juvenile and it's no help for them. Um, so for this young man who was involved in this case, I don't know if he had issues um, before um, that people were trying to address, but just in my experience of, you know, working in that field of advocacy, um, I would assume, I hate to assume things, but um, it just speaks to me and says that um, there has definitely been issues before. Uh, I mean, yes, this is definitely a drastic action to think that a nine-year-old um, would take a, a gun and deliberately uh, shoot someone as a mean to address um, their conflict is just disheartening. Um, when you see stuff like that in our city, we see it with the adults. Um, no one has any conflict resolution. No one has any um, very poor coping skills, um, very little communication skills. Um, and then of course, mental health um, plays a big part in that as well as a lot of people with mental health issues and um, concerns that don't get addressed. Um, so it weighs heavy, it weighs heavy, um, especially being a, a proud Baltimorean uh, born and raised, still here, trying to do my thing. <laughs> Definitely, I am doing my thing. I ain't trying, but I am. Um, it weighs heavy on you. It weighs heavy on you because it's a shadow um, that is kind of always clouded over uh, your spirit. You know, if you're in those fields, teachers, everyone who works with kids, um, we understand it. We understand the disconnect. Um, even with the families, you know, uh, just like I mentioned, I would go down into these courts. I had mothers, fathers, guardians, everyone. I mean, basically, I would say, you know, you got to show up for them. You got to support them. Um, but not knowingly to me, they've always been there um, showing up for them, always supporting them. And they just was tired because they were feeling like um, that. Department of Juvenile Services um, was basically just, you know, slapping them on the wrist and not really getting to um, the hindsight of what the issues are and really connecting them to the support and the services that they need. Um, a lot of things are mandated through the court orders for the juveniles, um, far as like the regular conditions 
uh, going to school, reporting to see their caseworker, which would be the uh, probation officer in an adult um, type of setting, um, things of that nature. Um, but things that we think would be essential far as uh, therapy or counseling or different things of that sort, a lot of that takes um, consent from the parents. So you have parents not wanting to uh, take advantage of that resource or basically a child with no support, just basically not willing to participate um, in that resource or whatever, in that connection. So it's a lot. Um, I just was looking at the update. It was running through um, for that. I don't want to mispronounce her name, but I believe it's Nikayla, uh Strader. And I just was here and I was crying my eyes out because it just, it saddens me. Um, all of the questions that the family is having about the murder, about the situation. Um, it's been so many families before who have had the same questions. Um, just different victim, different perpetrator, um, of course, different age, but this is what happens um, in our city. And I guess that's the most um, disheartening part of it is that it should not be happening so frequently. Um, I guess it would be um, foolish of me to say that it would never happen, um, but the fact that it happened so so, so rapidly here in our city. And now um, it happened in this manner um, with these young children is just really, really troublesome to me. I apologize, guys. I'm on here holding it down for the Nate degree. I got Cinder. I know y'all hear my background. Know what's going on here. He needed a few more minutes. <laughs> Can you hear me, Chastity? I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Oh, there I can. Okay, there you are. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, he needed a few more minutes. He had an emergency in his background, so he had to step away for a second. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so it's on a break, right? No, we still live. Oh, we still on live. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we so are going to take a... Uh, let's see if we can um, do that. We can take a quick commercial break real quick and come back and talk more. Yes, come back exchange. and talk more with Nate Kauser <laughs> on the Audits Exchange. I'm excited. I'm a special guest tonight by default. <laughs> All right, let's do this one. We'll be right back. The way I was at. It said, this weekend I've learned a valuable lesson. This past weekend, I learned a valuable lesson about ownership self-respect, and unfortunately, doorkey. Ownership is the key to Black freedom, meaning we have to begin to own the platforms that we use, like Black Big Exposed is Black-owned. 
and and not to say that it limit it's limited to only black hosts, but it's black owned. So other stations that wanted me to come to them before I got here, it, it, it did not feel welcoming. It did not feel like ours, even though they had black faces. Uh, Y'all heard them. Y'all heard them. This is the culture I create. Come on. Some people, he give them an answer. <laughs> uh, but ownership is the key to black freedom. Self-respect is the key uh, is the key to protecting ourselves from poor decisions. This was my boy, Emmett Till. I got a letter today from Auntie Lizzie. She said, Bo's been working the fields. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Oh, he just doesn't understand how different things are in Mississippi. Are you listening? Yes. Be small down there. Like this? Emmett never thought anything would happen to him. Eat the mummy, Simmy! <laughs> he just wanted to go on vacation and have fun with his cousins. But if my son could just get his feet back onto the Chicago soil, he'd be one happy kid. I don't know why I said that. describe what a mother knows. The first thing I noticed when I became a mother was that my hands were busy all the time. My hand knew him with my eyes closed, just like I know his laughter in a crowded room. It's the same thing when you know all of someone. This was my boy, Emmett Till. The body of Emmett Lewis Till has been found dead. Can I at least just fix him up a bit? No. They have to see it for themselves. You tell me, Mamie. How is risking your life gonna help them? Those pictures of your son change people's lives. I can't look, baby. We have to. The lynching of my son has shown me that what happens to any of us anywhere in the world had better be the business of us all.
Well, Nate's still not back. <laughs> okay, well, just like that. But hey, guys, y'all are live right here on Be Exposed with Nate Kowser on the Audix Exchange. Um, when I was just viewing, um, before I joined, I, I heard him talking about quite a um, good topics. But I am enthused to be on here with him tonight and talk that talk. Because <laughs> me, definitely. And I wish I had something to talk about. All of the, I mean, just the stuff that I got is like really damn. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know uh, what was you, what? you were just saying. Yeah, but before we went to the break, you were talking about a situation that happened here. What was that about again? Yes, yes, that situation was about the young um, girl, fifteen years old, Nikayla Schrader, who was shot mm. um, and killed by a nine-year-old boy. I don't know his name, of course, oh. for obvious reasons. Um, they're not disclosing his name. Um, but what happened and what early was reported is that it was an accident. Um, the way that it was being reported um, by the police commissioner was that a gun was dropped and it discharged mm. and it, it, it um, produced that fatal shot that took mm -hmm. the young lady's life. Um, however, I'm looking at updates um, through Fox 45 um, online um, of the family speaking out. Um, they started um, immediately after basically saying that it was not an accident. Um, so the last update that I just now was watching was very concerning. Um, the family was speaking of an experience of the detectives following up with them um, and basically, you know, showing no compassion, mm -hmm. um, basically treating them um, as if, if, they did something wrong. Of course, there's a lot of outlash, a lot of things being said online um, that from maybe from extended family members, extended friends, people are all entitled to their opinion. Um, but on an update, the family was basically just saying, because the family said that they did not um, receive any condolences um, from the young man's family. And it was really crazy. Um, and it saddens me um, that the family reports that the detective said to them, well, why would they? Why would they apologize the way that y'all are acting online? And I'm like, really? Like, so just knowing that this family is already going through um, massive grieving um, due to this sudden loss, it's just, it, it's just disheartening to know that Baltimore City Police Department um, even in a situation like that, um, their conduct, their temperament, their, their follow-up is, is questionable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, regardless of what, um, I would think that they will understand if things were being said or whatever online, um, that weren't pleasing or whatever, it definitely, um, to the family at this moment is just, um, I would think they will understand that from a place of the morning um, and things are going to be said and done um, that in no way, in my opinion, would be intentional uh, to bring harm to the young man's family or himself. Um, but it's out of that grief. They, they have questions. They have questions 
Um, they're speaking from their experience, um, from their trauma that they're going through right now. And it's just crazy to me that they would get that type of response um, from a detective who's coming to provide updates to them um, about the case. Uh, I know that because of the young man's age, they were saying that it did not qualify him to be charged um, for such crime. Uh, but even the questions of, you know, the relative who guns it, who gun it was like, it was a, I believe his grandmother and she worked security and it was her gun. Mm. Um, it's just so many questions. It's just so many questions. Um, I definitely, um, stand with them. I hope that the family does get justice. Um, I pray that the young man as well receives, um, the services um, and the supports that he that he needs, um, because for anyone, um, and especially a, a, a child nine years old who, because of his age, cannot um, was not charged because he's not deemed, um, you know, at his age to be criminally responsible um, for such crime, but it happened. And I just, I don't know. I guess I'm more frustrated that when things happen, it has to wait to it to happen for things to get addressed. But then I also understand that that's the way the universe, you know, we always talk about face things has to happen in order sometimes for us to get to um, the root of what we need. But it's just a mess. It's just a mess, Marnie. Mm is just a mess. So this happened in the west side of Baltimore. It was a young lady. Um, the family was reporting that the young man had issues with the young lady, uh, younger brother. Um, the young boy reported to the house that they would have gone, insisting that, um, I don't think he displayed it, but insisting that the young brother come out the home. Um, but when he went to the home, um, he confronted the 15-year-old um, with her friends on the porch and she told him he's not coming outside. And that's when the gun was drawn and she was shot in her head mm. and killed instantly. instantly. Wow. Yes. Nate is back. And then I'm going to step up just real, real quick to get charged. <laughs> Um, I was listening to um what Chaz was talking about. Um, can you hear me, Marnie? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to it, and it's it were it just the state that we're in. It worries me, but I think um, and to your credit, what you I heard you talking about also yesterday. Um, we are a contradiction. And I'm speaking specifically about us being black people. We have such a contradiction because we promote violent movies, violent video games, violence. We promote, you know, violent music. We promote those things. And then we don't we don't see how promoting those things connects it to people seeing those things, specifically young people and children and retarded older people. 
then begin to mimic those lives. Yes. And don't realize who they're taking with them. Um, I had to sit uh, about, before we moved out of the first studio morning on, on Lexington Street, um, uh, where we were over top of the restaurant, um, before we moved out there, I had to watch the video of my little cousin being shot to death um, on a, uh, you know, up there by, Le by Lafayette Market in that area. Some boys were jealous of him mm. and shot him and brought daylight, like, as bright as it is outside today, and what with a did not do it, but would not tell who actually did it. Um, I think my internet is a little choppy. Uh, can you still hear me? Yes, yes. But we had to watch, we had I had to sit in a courtroom with this maniac of an individual uh who went off once the verdict was in and he got the charges. Justifiably, he went off because he knew he didn't do it, but he assumed his lawyer would get him off because he didn't do it. But he, he would not tell who did it. And, you know, I don't like bringing this stop snitching culture. And it's, it's weird because I wouldn't expect for him to do the right thing because he was already, he didn't expect for him to do it, but the everyday citizen that's promoting this stop snitching or because somebody knows what happens in the case of the young lady that you were talking about. Somebody knows. Somebody uh, uh, heard. Somebody seen. And, you know, and I, I have to admit, I was one of those citizens. It wasn't my family. I didn't give up until they found my grandmother tied up, uh, hog tied basically, in her apartment about 15 years ago. And it it has still left me untrusting of, of new people and some some people I know. Uh, but the, the idea that somebody we know knows what happened and won't say anything. And we know the person who knows something who won't say anything. And it, it, it frustrates me that we live in a community that is more comfortable watching this on the news mm. and promoting it than they do doing something about that. Why do you continue to live in neighborhoods like that? I speak about, um, we have a phone call. Caller? Hi, yes. How are it's you? Karen. I'm good, how are you? Hello, Miss Baltimore Fashion Week. <laughs> how are you, Mr. Nathaniel Powder? So I'm I want to call in. I know me too. Uh, I'm, I'm cooking and I'm tired. But I wanted to call in because I was listening to the young lady speak. And I didn't know all of that took place because I never heard the part about uh, the young the, the young kid or I don't know, the young boy kid had an issue with the brother. Mm -hmm. So if you're that young and you're having issues what could have taken place for you to go get a gun and come back and want to shoot the brother so you can't get the brother, but you instantly kill a sister? What conversation took place for, the, for him to be that 
upset. There, there was no conversation. Sean, he saw somebody do this before. He saw somebody else handle a situation like that before. He yeah. knew wow. of a family member, close family friend wow. that handled situations like this. And this, wow. as a teacher, I've had several students say, I'm going to go get my uncle. He going to beat the shit out of yeah. That that mentality happens because that's how they handle other stuff in life. So the child sees it and say, well, that's what I'm going to do. He knew where the gun was. He knew how to use it because somebody played with it in front of him or showed him how to use it or had, had him hold it. It's, it's, and it's I, I can't take that type of, of, of parenting. I can't. That's what I'm saying. See, when I was younger and about that age, you know, things of that nature, guns, BB guns, I was scared to play with them. I was scared to touch mm -hmm. them. The most reckless thing I did was pay a, pay a dollar to ride on someone's 50 dirt bike, you know, through the projects. But as far as weapons and different things of that nature, we were afraid of those things. We knew that those things hurt people. We you know, like how we said, the mentality on the street, the streets codes have definitely changed um, when we see people coming through and just shooting, um, you know, randomly, not having any concern for who is there um, or, you know, their intended target. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back in my day when I remember, you know, growing up in the projects, I mean, I did just talk 40, so I mean, back in my day, Nate, like I said, <laughs> but um, yeah, we would be around there something. If something was going on, you know, people would come and say, go in the house, go in the house, get from around here real quick, yeah. or whatever else was the case. Like, we didn't have, um, you know, people just coming and shooting up a whole corner. Or, or shooting up a whole area where children were playing, where elderly or women or, you know, basically trying to harm someone that had nothing to do with the matter. Um, but now people just have such a disconnect and such an outrage. Um, and it happens. It, ha it happened, but it wasn't to the degree yeah. or to the yeah, it did. negligence that right. it is today because there were, there were people who would shoot. I remember in the like late 80s, early 90s. I don't remember, remember, but I remember mm -hmm. people would shoot up people's funeral homes. That's why now if somebody right. is murdered, they send the the officers to that for right. that day. So mm -hmm. nobody can come in and shoot it up. But those things were not as rampant, but it still happened. But it was, it was, it you were actually an innocent bystander it wasn't just yeah. somebody recklessly shooting people right that's that's why i brought up my cousin because in that trial we the the lawyer showed him getting shot in the back of his head mm. and I, I had never seen anything like that and you know with cameras now it's a vivid image it's not a distorted blur we saw him walking down the street out of the store and getting shot in the back of his head. And it was the weirdest thing ever uh, to, to watch, but we are so numb to that. Right. And we still- And that's what I'm speaking on too, like the, the friends or whoever, you know, was there present um, when this incident happened. You know, my heart just goes out to them because just like how you, you know, as an adult, that was something traumatizing. 
imagine going there so it's not only the sight is the sounds is the smells um all of that so, so, so the part that i'm missing from what you said was why what was the incident between him and the brother um, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I don't know okay. anything, you know, specifically. Like I said, I just been watching as updates come up and occur. Um, but the way that the, the the story is coming out, that was them basically speaking against what the police commissioner and what the police department has been putting out to the community of it being an accident. Um, so the family just wanted to make it clear that they did have a history with this young man and leading up into um, the tragic death of. Um, the young sister Nikayla so, struck. So I, I I challenge everybody. Imagine what happens in the classrooms. Mm. Go to school together. Imagine this was the first. I, and I've seen plenty of fights. I've helped break up plenty of fights. Mm -hmm. This was the first school year. This last school year that I've watched students, and I'm an elementary school teacher, violently beat each other up. To the point where the adults have to think twice or strategize how to break them up. Mm -hmm. I, I watched a young man throw a chair into my classroom at a student. Mm -hmm. And not, I care who this chair was going to hit, but he was so mad, so enraged that he threw this chair at this person across the room. And not care who it was. And, and I don't want to hear him. His parents or even the other family's parents make any excuses because somebody showed this the fact that they've had this history it wasn't just this one young man who shot somebody it was the the unit because we don't know how it started we don't right. know how it started they're not going to tell us how it started right but i don't want to hear any excuses from the families as to why this happened because somebody has shown this is to these children. This is how we handle conflicts. Or even I'm gonna go get my gun. I'm and, gonna and, go. And, I'm gonna beat your ass. Right, and ju and just like the point that you brought up earlier, donate. Um, a lot of times it doesn't have to be. Um, because I can I, I can also say that too. Because you know, you know, just with working with uh, numerous youth and families, like sometimes you know you would assume that it is issues. And I mean, you know, society tells us that, that of course, you know, children learn from what they're around and their families and stuff. But I definitely seen some children who had very stable, very, very productive, mm -hmm. stable homes. Um, but then they had that outside influence. They had that influence through the music, through the television, through things of that, you know, of that nature. So even if we would say in a situation a kid having parents that are so, you know, strict, but not really strict, but just uh, mm -hmm. involved in their children and knowing what's going on. Right. Like now in, in this generation, they have so many other entities that can get to them to produce, you know, this, this negativity mm -hmm. in them, to tell them how to address things. So even sometimes if you right there on the forefront as the parent and you are totally against things or whatever, uh, unfortunately, when our children um, come in these environments, when they're exposed to different things, even if it's not allowed through the family, things like this happen. Um, so I in, in, in my in my statement was, I don't want to hear an excuse, but, and I agree with that. 
because I know some well-meaning parents. But my question always is, how do you handle conflict in the house? Yes. How do you allow other people to come in your house and, uh, and, and uh, showcase reactions to conflict? Because that's then how your children then go out and handle things. And it's not necessarily to blame you, but we have to be mindful of the game. Then what is this um, this game that I used to love to play, but it has gotten to a realistic expectation that is just beyond why are you playing, why are adults playing this? In the game, you can go to strip clubs, you can rape a prostitute You can rape a prostitute in the back of the yes. car. You can run over somebody and you see the blood. I, I was my my friend, he has this huge TV and he was playing a game. And I was looking, I, the game was, I was like, oh, this has been updated. It looks realistic now. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the game. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, like, you can rape somebody in the back of the car. All of that, kill them, we, shoot them, stab them. And I'm not a person that's overly sensitive. Run from the police. Right, because I played Mortal Kombat. And I, I played those video games as a child. Wait, it wasn't like play? they are now. But I remember, and it didn't, it didn't inspire me to go out and do anything. But it's just the idea that you have to really be cognizant. And, and like you said, you don't always know what your children are doing when you let them go to their cousin's house or to your auntie's house or to their best friends. You don't know what other parents will allow them to do. But it's still, you have to be that parent that's too hard on your child. Yes, you did. Because you, did. And you have to be all in their business. You have to be all in their business. Right. My mother didn't let me, if it wasn't my. I have both my mother and father have an aunt. I didn't get to go to or my grandmother's house. I didn't get to go. I didn't get to go spend the night. I didn't go. You have to, and sometimes your children will hate you. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> no, your child will be better off not knowing sometimes or not experiencing things. Like don't let your children, most rape cases happen at a sleepover or, you know, sometimes- Relaxation, mostly with people that, you know, you are familiar with, family, whatever. A lot of those instances are not done by strangers. And unfortunately, why you here? doing that? Is that fine? Okay. Yes, it's me, sorry. So I have a question to Sharon. Sharon has three boys. How did, what was it raising them? Well, um, for me, we being a single mom and working at least two jobs at a time, it was, it was hard but easy because whatever I heard them talk about, I made sure they had it. So they didn't have to go outside. I tried to keep them in the house as long as I could. Nobody could entice them. Before, right, before they got friends and wanted to go over their friend's house. And then I never allowed that. Um, mm-hmm. I just didn't trust people because two incidents happened, one with Robbie and one with Antoine. And when that happened, I was like, y'all ain't going nowhere ever. And mm-hmm. I meant that until they mm-hmm. got into right. high school. And then it was still hard for me to let them go. Even now they're like, Robbie's 29 and, and Roderick is 38 or 40 something. I don't know. He go, 
So, you know, and even still now, I worry, although they all drive and they can get around, but, you know, raising three boys into men and not having mm-hmm. a father presence in the house, I had to wear both of those pants, and I was really strict on my son. Like, if I'm working at night, mm-hmm. I need you in the house when the lights are off. If that phone rings more than twice, somebody's getting to beat you when I come home. So it was that kind of stuff with them. I had to put the fear of God in my children. Like, they didn't really do anything when they were growing up. Nobody, mm-hmm. you know, praise God, the police never came for them, looking for them. And they would, you know, and their travels coming home, they had to bypass that. So while I'm at work and they're traveling home and they were latchkey kids. So there was no babysitter. You just go in the house and lock all the doors and go in your room and call me when you get in there. You know, you being a single mom, I had to worry about all that stuff. You know, if somebody watching them go mm-hmm. home, you didn't know their schedule. Because my father, when he was raising me, he was always like, you know, when you go look for a place, you got to go in the daytime and nighttime and always go three times, daytime, afternoon, and late at night to see who's around in the the area. And by them being so young, Mm -hmm. you know, and they were kind of sort of naive because I didn't, I didn't know street like, I don't know, like anybody else, because all I did was go to work and come home and raise my sons. And I made a point that every weekend Mm -hmm. we did something together so they wouldn't think about what they were missing from their friends. It wasn't easy, but we, we made it. Now, I, I remember I was that child, that last kid, and it, it was hard on me because my mother was so hard on me. To this day, I don't know how to ride a bike. And I've owned three bikes because she was so afraid because of what her brothers had done and who, and you know, the men that she grew up around. It was just, I was, I didn't know anything till I was adult. Now, sometimes those, the, the ones that are grown up, especially the black men that are raised up like we are, we were, it, you run into mistakes as an adult, but it's different as an adult because you've seen things by the time, like you've heard things from classmates. So you start learning life a different way. But I'm, I'm one of them people, like the way my mother raised me did not kill me. It did not harm me in a way. I was ignorant to a lot of stuff. So as an adult, I'm learning people differently. So I wouldn't have a chokehold on my child, but I definitely would not allow my child to do certain things like no no spending over no nights. If your friend, if you have a friend, I need to meet that friend and that parent and they can come here. Maybe possibly. Oh my God. But, so did, was your mother the kind, not to cut you off, but was your mother kind of like, I need to meet their parents? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they don't But I still couldn't know. go there. That, she had to meet there. They don't. I, I know people who don't even, you know, people who are call each other friends. Like my mother knew all, all my friends growing up. She knew all of their mothers. She had met all of their mothers. You know, I remember <laughs> I remember one time one of my friends in middle school, his mother brought me home for the first time. And I said to her, I said, you have to come in and meet my mother as if as if she was a date or something. She was like, are you okay? I said, if I tell my mother you brought me home and you didn't come to this door, she going to meet you tomorrow. Uh, mm. When you when you come pick up, when you come drop off your child, my yeah. mother's going to, that was the type of mother I had. She would have met her and asked her, what the hell is her problem? And why oh, didn't yeah. she let her know? And I had lost my, I had lost my money. My mother didn't care. If I, if I had called my aunt, and said, oh, can you come pick me up? I lost my, my, my key or my bus pass or whatever. My mo- I would have had to call my mother first to get her permission to do that. 
So me just getting a random ride home or she don't care if your child go to that school. Who are you, miss? And why didn't you call me first? As a parent, you should have done that. But a lot of those things, because we have younger parents now, they don't know to do those things. Or people have gotten so comfortable, a lot of those things. So that's why children are getting kidnapped. More children are getting kidnapped. More children are getting raped and molested or sexually abused or, you know, convinced to do certain things. Because, you know, and I understand we are busy generation. Everybody is working two and three jobs. But you can never be so busy that you're not listening to your child, you're not talking to your child, and you're not paying attention to your child. And I, I can only imagine how that young lady's mom is feeling or parents are feeling. But I always go back to how do we handle conflict? And I want to know what really happened. Like, I don't want just the, the cookie cutter and uh, it was a mistake. Because there was no mistake. That child didn't live in that home and that gun didn't reside in that home. So that means the child went and got a gun, brought it to here. Where in that was a mistake? It, it, and I understand children play with guns, but who showed him that a gun was comfortable? Right. I was terrified of my mother. Well, yeah, and while in my understanding, a gun that was used in the incident belongs to a relative of his who worked security. Um, mm -hmm. so I believe that the gun, you know, was in the oh, home was, legally, but it was not secured. It's no way possible. A nine-year-old is supposed to know where a gun is, um, be so comfortable with touching it, taking it out the house and walking mm -hmm. around the corner. And again, I don't know all the specific incidents because I'm just listening at the updates as the families are reporting. Um, but that's what they were saying. They were saying that him... Mm -hmm. So I think the little brother is about the same age. The little brother of the deceased the is about the same mm -hmm. age. So it just was like some, you know, little kid. So the brother wasn't there at the time. So he just shot somebody. Um, well, he was in the house. So it's kind of like he came to the house like, yeah, your brother or whatever. Um, the way they reported. And she was like, you know, I guess like, no, he ain't coming out here. Yeah. Like. Right. So I don't know if he came brandishing the gun or whatever else like that, but it wasn't as if, you know, she was trying to, you know, fight the little bit. She just was like, no. So I guess she probably was aware of the history and them fighting or whatever. Something that stemmed from around a, a basketball court or something. I mean, stuff that, you know, kids do. Um, it's, it's, so it's crazy to me, though. And I hear you, Chaz, because we both work with children. Mm. And I hate blaming parents for everything because I had to get out of that habit of whatever happened to me was my mom's fault or my dad's fault. Well, I didn't have a dad, but it, it was. Um, I'm just hoping to find out because what I've now read about this story is that the, uh, apparently the little boy was in a fight with the girl, the one that died's brother, multiple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that yep. this could have been like I, I don't know how old the other young man was, you know, the, um, the little boy was that they, that was in the fight. But I'm hoping this wasn't like a bully situation, and this was the extreme of the bullying situation. Right, and that and and unfortunately, a lot of that stuff because the way neighborhoods are now, children aren't really neighborhood friends anymore. They're normally school acquaintances, mm -hmm. so they a lot of this stuff happens in school. And unfortunately, because, you know, principals and vice principals and teachers don't want to deal with parents or paperwork, they don't report it. 
they don't report the problem that just happened. They just fought in the cafeteria or on homeroom. They didn't report it. So a lot of this stuff spills over into the neighborhood and vice versa. Um, and, and often people don't say anything. You know, it was just a fight. We good. But we don't, we, nobody ever talked to those children. Nobody ever talked through, talked them down. And that child is puffed up from whatever happened to him. And and not to point a finger, because what if he started it and now he's going to end it? You know, because um, mm -hmm. these children had take retaliation. I can I can spit in your face and for some of these children, and I spit in your face, and because you punched me back, oh now I got to harm you. And right. it's is they don't have rational mind. They children, they don't have this rational thinking. That's what adults are there to be legally guidance over them. But I always question, and I get it, not all parents have a home like that, but how do how does that child see conflict? And it may not come from the home, but who watches your child when you're at work? Or, you know, are both parents on the same spectrum with that? Are the parents together? Is it two separate homes? Does the dad's home handle conflict this way? And the mom's home handle it this way. You you have to know how your child is seeing yeah. how to handle conflict because it will determine how they go out into the street and handle conflict. Like yeah. I, I said, I have too many children who have I've heard them tell me, other teachers, other students, what their family member. My my uncle will kill you, nigga. So that means they know what lifestyle you or the people that you have them around are leading. They know this. Right. So that's how they, the, the way they, if you hear elementary school children talk to each other now, you'd be like, what, where the hell did you get that from? What? You say this that, you say it. I said, I remember when we was about, you know, us just being kids where like we did stuff, even the cursing, you know, bitch and everything. But I had enough sense that when I seen an adult, I shut my mouth. We did that Not sneakily. Now. Not now. That's, that's how they talk to you. A couple that's of how they'll talk to you now. Watch your mouth. But then while we talk about that and just like the neighborhood and having to meet the parents and everything else like that last year, um, at my children's school, you know, I want parent in the year because, and sometimes, you know, I'm always out to the now, 125. Yes, parent of the year. Um, but it's crazy because our culture, some type of way, feels like when you are concerned about their children or you are really, you know, just have that genuine love or care for children, like, um, like they question it. They 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 question them. It's no longer the village um, mentality. You can't call nobody and say nothing about their children. I can only imagine that you as a teacher and you are having issues with a child. Nobody wants to hear it. Um, even in my household, I've been, I've been cussed out. I've been cussed out for simply keeping a child after school. And you know that's a mild form of punishment. I ain't put my hands on you. I kept them after school because they couldn't control themselves during school. Yes. And I've been cussed out. I mean, I've been doing everything with the Son of God by parents and students alike, grandparents alike. Yeah. I and still have, I have video footage on my phone to this day, just in case something comes up. <laughs> okay. Just in case. 
Go see them. Go, go see them. That's where the last threat came from. (laughs) But just like how we were saying that children see it, whatever. You know, me as a mother, I try my my diligence to, you know, be on my children, you know, to speak life into my children. But what I was noticing and now is my philosophy too is that you can't correct the behavior with the same behavior. So, like, I mean, like, recently, last month, because, you know, me, I'm a talker. And what she mean by that, if your child got in trouble for fighting, you can't come up there and beat your child's ass. Because no. now we understand why your child was fighting. How you how you going to correct the same behavior? You tell them it's wrong, but then that's how you respond. Like, how, how you address the conflict. So that's what I was saying. I was saying I'm not one that is into, you know, the spanking or whatever else like that. I'll pop you, but I'm not. A spanker. My children know that I'm a yeller. So just last month, I was like, "Why y'all keep on? Every time somebody do, you keep on being out loud. Stop all that yelling." And it hit me. That is what I did. So that's why that's, that's what I meant back. by that. <laughs> that's yeah, what I wanted that's to put on. Like everything is not on the prints a lot of times. Yeah. But we definitely have to be aware that it plays a big, big part. So now I'm- oh, really- so, so before you go any further, so I I get intentions. As a parent, it's never your intention to abuse your child, intimidate your child, put the fear guard in your child. That's not your intention. But how you react to their behavior is why they do that. Yeah. So if you yell and scream, I can tell, I can tell how a parent handles a child by how a child gets into a conflict. I can't tell how their mother talk. I had a mother last year. She told me, she said, um, I don't yell at my child. I said, well, the way your child talks to other people, somebody yells at your child. Well, nobody's around my child. And the little girl came to me the next day, like my mother do be yelling at home. And I, I was like, why lie though? Now you're teaching your child to lie and be confrontational by yelling at people. And it's, it is, I know it's not her intention, but how you react to stuff. And you you just said, I had to realize, I, I didn't hit him, but I yelled at him. Right. So that's how they learn how to deal with conflict. Yeah. And it's not that you are a bad parent, but we have to, like, yelling does something to me because my mother was a yeller. Yeah. She, was a, she was a four, five foot four yeller. Yeah. And today to hear now, I'll argue and I'm the five foot two one, right? But and to argue back and forth, I'm not for that. I can't do it because I I know, and when I catch myself in it, I gotta go. Yeah, but that's that's something that I picked up from her, and, and she's not a bad mother because that's how her mother talked. I know my grandmother. I know that's how she talked, but it's just still the same. Children watch what we do. They right. watch what we do. They don't care what you say to them. They watch what you do. And right. children are good at saying, well, that's not what you do. Yes. And I even start taking a moment, you know, in my parents and when it comes to correcting my children to basically mm-hmm. take a moment, to basically take a moment. Some stuff, I just got to let it happen and come back later and address it. Not that it's not going to be addressed, but mm-hmm. to make sure that I'm addressing it in the most effective way and not to put, you know, 
that that frustration or whatever that I'm displaying or whatever with my children and everything else like that in that moment sometimes I had to step away from them and like mm-hmm. like for the last of us 18 months my kids be shot like mom like what you gonna say because they so used to me being right there hold on wait a minute Da-da-da-da. even I'm like, like that I'm like that with my mother yeah. when I see her like so she had a a, a number of foster children after me once I got grown and when I see how she deal with them, I was like, you gonna let her talk to you like that? I yeah. find myself, when I see them doing that, reacting how she would, when I see her, yes. just letting it go. Yeah. Uh-uh, we're not doing that shit, fuck that. And that's what comes out my mouth. And I'm, she like, nah, you know, and then I'll be mad that she get mad at me. But I'm like, this is how you raised me. And then I'm I'm in my mind like, well, that's why you responded this way. Cause that's how she raised you. So you right. learn that way. And it's I hate doing that, but it's just is it's you have to be really caught because you pour into your child what they'll eventually be. Yeah. And how they'll be more importantly, how they'll be. And we don't realize that. And I, you know, I I was the one that's not a customer. My sister is a sailor. Mm-hmm. And I and and I remember my mother walking in on her one day and she was cussing and just Oh, I'd never forget that day. But my mother kept saying, where did she get that from? And my great-grandmother was like, you bitch. Yeah, I just, I didn't even, it was funny in a moment, but my great-grandmother was so mad that my mother was just that off-putting by. Like, how did, where do you think she got it from? And it's just, it's the intentions are what I pay attention to, but the how, I think, is what we all need to pay attention to because that's why a lot of these young people are reacting that way. If it's not the parent, maybe the little brother got a gun. Maybe the older brother got a gun or the cousin that lives in the basement got a gun and he's played with it. They may not have told the parents, mm-hmm. but they learned it. From, it's not always the parents, but they've seen somebody do that. They've seen somebody yes. go around somebody's house and brandish a gun and, and wield you the know, movie, the videos, you know, different things used to be that, you know, they used to have certain gradings, PG-13. People pay none of that stuff any mind, no mind. Because it's on the internet anymore. now. So the internet doesn't have Nothing. Kids are not sheltered from anything. It's, it's like they watch whatever, they listen to whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I haven't been in the movie this for years. I forgot what movie. But when I went, I know it wasn't a child movie, but People were bringing that. There's children. a bunch of children there. Yeah. Yeah, hey, like I, I told. I don't know if I said this before, but you know, I my last class, this this last fourth grade class taught me a lot. I had a couple students who were addicted to porn. See. And because they, you know, over the pandemic, their parents pushed the phone or the tablet. Hey, take this, get out my face. Yes. I had students who would actively watch porn in class. Oh my goodness. And you know, you know, boys used to do that. Uh, uh, like that boys do stuff like that. Yeah. But that's because they've seen it somewhere. Yes. They've heard it. Boys mocking don't just start it. doing that. They right, they're mocking it. And I kept wondering why they was doing it. And then I walked up on a young man. He he learned how to jailbreak. That's what they call the jailbreak his school laptop. And he was watching porn of and the lady swore me down. They cannot watch that on their laptop. I said, well, you need to figure out what, what's different with this laptop than the rest of them because this one can do it. Okay, he got through there. 
He good. But he was he <laughs> how to shoot, but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't on his computer. He learned how to screen share to his computer. So mm -hmm. he was screen sharing from his phone to his computer. I I told uh, I remember on the show I was telling when I first when virtual classes first started. That's why I stopped because I had a young man who who screen shared to the whole class porn. Same little boy. And I just couldn't do it anymore. I could not, I couldn't do it no more. And we have to be, we can't, we have to, as parents, we got to say, my child was. So much stuff well, I don't, I don't, on them yeah. screens, wasn't it? On them virtual classes, honey. When I heard it. So I heard it. I, he must was playing it. And he learned how to screen share. So it was on all of our screens. Now he got expelled because that was child porn. That was considered porn. And he got kicked out, but he still know how to do it. So that's not what stopped him from doing it. The fact that you say fourth grade, nine years old, and that he has such an intense interest in that. See, it be stuff like that, that is like issues that people nowadays, um, stuff that behaviors from children, from people, period, that are very concerning. I mean, I say children because we're speaking on this, the the, you know, the school age kids, but even as adults, yeah. we see people display behaviors and engage in certain things. And it's very concerning, but people just take it in as the norm. Like, but, but what happened to me? So you typically deal with like teenagers, right? Yeah, I was. Well, well, anybody who was involved in the juvenile justice system, um, the last, the last program that um i resigned from um was another one that actually dealt with adults um 25 mm -hmm. um and higher because um what was being shown um like i was speaking on as far as like the resources and things like that for the youth um and when we talk about these justice systems when they're minors and they're not you know being detained but they're being sent to rehabilitation programs and things of that nature some of them for long periods of extending the time then when they come back into society they're over the said age with deems them a youth and it's no services for them and and, and the whole time it's nothing, nothing was helping everything is based on age it's based on numbers um, so like how we know they say if you're 18, you're grown, you're 21, you legally drink or whatever else like that. But people even having that age are not even at that level because through their childhood, through the stages of development, they've missed something. So even this nine-year-old, even this nine-year-old who was involved in this thing, it was something that he needed that was necessary for his development. At one, at two, at three, mm -hmm. you know, people don't understand. It's only conflict resolution. They need to, yes. and I'm not for before stuff in schools because it needs to be taught around school as well. But I, at first, I started with special education element, uh, high school, and I went to middle school. Middle school is not for anybody. I think we need to just get rid of middle school and just, I don't know what to do with them between that age, but they don't need to be in a building with each other. Uh, but oh, I, when I started I teaching elementary prior to the pandemic, that that school year was the first year I ever had pre-K students. And I learned in Cherry Hill, I learned where the problems start. And that moment, you can see the onset of stuff. And I was able to 
see like, oh, I think, so when I taught that 12th grader or that 10th grader, this is where it started. And like you said, the resources wasn't there because as in, in terms of the, so you were in a program that was adjacent to the school system. The school system, if your child has a problem with attendance or lateness, they don't get a lot of those services because the school system is refuses to invest money in a child that does not come to school every day on time. Right. So you're already out of the line for any IEP or special resources for that child because your right. child isn't coming to school. If you refuse to come and meet with a social worker or a counselor, that then cancels your child out for any resources that they may need. Because in the many in elementary school, there are they have guidance counselors, they have uh, social workers, they have therapists, uh, rehabilitation. All of those things exist in elementary schools right now, not mm -hmm. just in middle and high schools, in elementary schools. But if you don't, if you don't show up for your child, they're not going to show up for your child. Oh. So that problem with him hey. now, because that if, if the little boy was nine, that means he was like in the fourth grade. Right. Yeah, and do you that's, believe and, and that's, you, that's the child that I'm working with? Those are the ages that I'm yes. working with. And that's what I say. They are when I saw their ability, and, and the problem is so that young man was nine right now. Before the pandemic started, he was probably leaving the first grade. He doesn't have any socializing skills or social skills. Yeah. So that then becomes a problem seven, with this seven, right. So this seven, pandemic period, right. So if he was in middle school, high school, he may have gotten a little bit of it. But if your child was in a fourth or fifth grade, they were just leaving the first grade or going into the first grade, some of them. Mm -hmm. So they don't have any social skills, peer-to-peer -peer skills. And they being on a computer, you don't learn that because you're in your own environment. And you only have your peer-to-peer -peer skills that are within your household. So whatever that is like, if you don't have a lot of siblings or your sibling ratio is a little toxic or you're the youngest, you don't have those skill sets that are required to have conflict resolution, to think about what you're going to do before you do it. So that may have well, because I saw a lot of, I was fourth grade teacher. I saw a lot of them that did not exhibit the skills to be able to conflict resolution or have conflict resolution skills. I didn't see that. You yeah, know, when something happens, a lot of them were, they would look like spoiled brats yeah. that just yelled and screamed their way out of situations. It's, it's real limited. You know, like in a generation for us, you know, a lot of people being raised by their grandparents. Um, because of which name a lot of that had to do with it, you know, like the, the grandparents or whatever served as the guardians, but for us and that, 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 that age to be that, that strict disciplinary is like the grandparents at that time, you know, they tie it. So they provide the shelter, they provide a home for them and everything else like that, but they not on them. We have a lot you know of what I mean? in foster care too. A lot of, a lot of students that are in foster care more so than ever before. Or like you said, got a guardian or a grandparent watching them, and it's just not the same level of care that. It's I'm not. I think it started with our generation because I think you're like a year older than me, but it just started with that generation of people not being in a home, and it's always been an issue. 
But yeah. I think it became more of an issue in that early 80s period. And a lot of uh, us, but again, we're talking about parents that are 10, 12, 15 years younger than us. Yes. And that's the part that, like his parents may be like in their 20s. Right. So I'm, I, So we have to also understand that. I think sometimes we look at how old we are and just assume everybody else is that age. But a lot of these parents are 22, 23. You definitely had to consider that. And while we talk about that too, and how we talked about, you know, the fault on the parents, like we also had to consider that the parents of the, the, the child wasn't taught right by their parents. You know, like how I said in those early stages of development, it was something that they did not get that was necessary. And a lot of times- I think our age range was the beginning of like the crack era parents. Yeah. The crack era Mhm. Mhm. This is, you know, I hear these stories, and a lot of times I just want to like hide my eyes from it. But it's difficult to, it's difficult to deal with because it's real. Yeah. It's real, and for me, for me, and I know for you, because you're dealing with these young people on a one-on-one basis, mm-hmm. and it's just difficult to. It's difficult to deal with it because children lie, man. And children, children know how to get a, a teacher fired, and they actively do it. I had, right. I had children, and this is the first time I've ever heard a child say this: "I'm gonna get you fired." Mm-hmm. And I, in my mind, I laugh because I'm a cross your T's, dot your I type of person. So to get me fired, they both of us are leaving out of here. If okay. you can get me fired. I'm not going alone, but just the because they know all I got to do is say you did this. Yeah. All I got to do is, you know, I have the verbiage. I don't know how to properly use it. One of my students went to, he kept going to the principal and in his mind, he was getting me fired. This was a fourth grader's mindset. I'm going to get you fired. He went to the uh, principal was like, he making me raise my hand before I talk. And the principal laughed at him. I don't think she should have laughed. I think she should have corrected him. But she laughed because she was like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, he's he being too extra. He's extra. He's too much. Yes. Because they're and so I, used to doing whatever. And doing whatever is no order. Is no is no, no order. Is no discipline. Just like I said, let alone if they're not getting it in the household or whatever else like that. Even if you are... Mm-hmm in a space where you have to be the one to provide some type of disciplinary or something to the child, they're not receptive of it because they're so mm. not used to it. That's like I said. So, and I feel for parents like you who respect. are active, for parents like you who are active, that's why you are having to reset your child every so often. Oh, I got to reset mine all the time. School. Just like how you said middle school, my daughter who is 12, she'll be going to the seventh grade this year. Last mm-hmm. year, her first year in middle school, um, it was it was trying. Like they were calling me every week. I'm like, what is going on? It's not my daughter. I had to go up there. No, my daughter is a queen or whatever. But what it is is that when they show up in these environment and everybody is acting in a manner, it is sometimes like how it is with like games. You either pray mm-hmm. or. Mm-hmm. You, you the vet, 
You get what I'm saying? So it's like my daughter started following suit. So running them out, being smart with teachers, start doing stuff. She started to mm-hmm. mock the behaviors of other people so that they wouldn't pick with her or she wouldn't be the outcast. So I got to do this to fit in. Like I was shocked. Some of the mm-hmm. stuff like, no, what? She cussing. And it's, but it's, it's a child, um, it's children like yours who may be very mild-mannered, who may be quiet, and they're sitting in a classroom. And this is what happened. A lot of the foreign exchange students, uh, the first-time English students, or the well-behaved students are sitting in a class and they're watching a teacher having to constantly have to take control of the class or lose control of the class. So what happens is a teacher says, uh, Ms. Chastity, um, your child has been talking back. And you're like, that's not my child. But what happens is your child then learns how to get over with the teacher. Mm-hmm. So in their way of getting over, they don't realize the teacher is keeping score and know that this is not your behavior and know that I'm going to call your mom. Mm-hmm. So they'll say something like, I don't care to call her. Because yeah. they've watched you give that other student chance after chance after chance because you don't want to have to call them because you know oh, they Oh my goodness, me. You hit it right on the head because that will be a lot of my child's response to say, Ma, I didn't do anything. And when these people did, look, I ain't worrying about nobody else. When she called me, she said your name. So for whatever reason, you know what I mean? You need to get it together. But that was exactly it. Like my child couldn't understand it. Like they, they be doing this and they be doing that. I do this one thing. Right. Cause it ain't of you. So it's like, it's so accepting of the children. It's that, it's that teacher, but it's that teacher trying to make sure that that good child don't turn into that child. Yeah. And I thank So that's why you'll get more phone calls than the problem in yeah. the classroom. And not only that, and not only that, because how you just now said is that I'm an active parent. I'm an active parent. I'm attending. I understand the importance of that teacher and parent partnership when it comes to education, because Mm -hmm. realistically, you the mama and you the baba for them eight hours when I had to send my child here. So I had to develop a relationship with you because I'm trusting you. For the safety of my child, not only, you know, the safety of just, you know, their physical safety, but their mental, their emotional. You have to respond to that in in school when I'm not there. So I'm big on that. I want to meet the teacher. You are 10%. You represent 10%. Just know that that other 90% is a couple different layers within them. But that other 90% isn't as active as you. Right. And that's the point I wanted to make because that's a lot of times too why I get so many phone calls, I feel. So I don't hold it against the teachers, but it's so many parents that they call that don't respond, that don't follow up. And to me, it like gives the teacher have a correct phone number. Yes. Some of them I told the teacher, I had to tell her one time, I said, look. I understand, mm-hmm. but don't because I know you're gonna handle call me for mm-hmm. everything, you know. And I guess she realizes that, yeah, I do, because you're the only one to respond. So it was like she could talk to me about it. So it kind of was like 
even in instances she was venting. So yeah, she was calling to talk about my child, but she would also disclose, you know, everything that's going on and da 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 da. And I would say okay, and I, and I would try to respond in a way to be so supportive because, like I said, I know it's a lot. I always say that now. Yeah, she's my trying business. to figure out, you know what? And and I've done this. So we're trying to figure out. Well, if this parenting works, how can I apply what she's doing to these children in school? Because mm -hmm. somebody like me, I don't have any children. So I need to figure out what the hell is Chaz doing with her mm -hmm. child that I could call her and I see the difference very next day. Or if I call you in the middle of the day, I see the difference immediately. Right here, no, for sure. If I call their mother, they got one of the mothers like, don't keep having that fucking teacher calling my, my phone. Yeah. Or they 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 know the parent don't have the right phone number. Yeah. Or the teachers don't have the right phone number. They know. They know that the step parent that, that's on the list, not even with the mother no more. Don't so don't even care what you call them for. They're not even gonna answer. So they know they know the routine already. So yes. you're gonna get and I try to I try to I try to warn parents like you, like I'm gonna call you. Because I know your child, I don't ever want your child to feel like, like it could be like this child over here. Because it was in a classroom before I even contact you, that child has dis disconnected and now they don't care no more. So now they begin to or behavioral issues with the with the teacher. Yeah. Sometimes I just had to talk to my daughter every morning, every morning, just coaching her, just reminding her. Wow. So now the teacher is a classroom. Yeah, yeah. I used to have to go. I apologize, Nate. It was cutting up a little bit, so I don't know if I cut you off mm -hmm. um, in your throat. Um, but yeah, it, it was like a constant thing for me, like because I know that she was going in the environment, and I and I recognized how fast um, and how fast she could switch. And like be this whole other person. And it just was like her survival mode to be up in the school um, like this. That's why I made it my business to transport my child to and from school. You're not going to get on a public, you know, you already got to deal with it in the school, but I don't want you to have to deal with it. You know, I, I tried to do little things mm -hmm. to combat against the influence that I know that she was involved with because I wasn't there. And at the and it all, reality she still gotta live her own flight you know but it's different and i you know talking to my child and just the stuff that she has to encounter children period like how you said fourth grade so this was middle school and so when i started really talking to my daughter and learning some of the stuff that was going on or certain things that she has observed or whatever and i'm like wow dang so these behaviors that she began to it was like her defense mechanism so I don't get picked on. So nobody don't think that I'm, you know. And then also on the other side, some teachers, because they're so used to being in this environment, that they have this hostile, like how we said, response to children. So a lot of these. You just said it. It's survival. Yeah, it's survival. Like as a teacher, you have to survive in yeah. those classrooms. Yeah, and it's it's not many parents that look at the three sixty five. They no. don't look at the three three sixty. I mean, they don't look at the three sixty view of that. 
because that that teacher how many times have you had over the pandemic how many times did you have to repeat yourself to you how many times it's a raise your many of you parents felt it and you got a very mild version of it because you still have a certain level of authority over your child imagine not having that authority right imagine that's what i said that can't make the threat that i'll whip your ass or the punish (laughs) Uh, okay i'll say that you better pull my rap sheet i'm just telling you you better pull my seat because I'll never, I mean, I'll never disrespect your child. Right. But, I'll, I'll, but I will get you. Yeah, I will get you. So, and I give them a glimpse of, oh shit, my mother said that to me. So right. some of them, they like, oh, he been here before. He not. Right. Now some of them think I'm because I'm the artsy teacher. Yes, oh, he yes, just yes. flowers and hugging trees. Who the mm-hmm. fuck you think you talking? Yeah, oh, okay. but that's what one thing I even hated to do because like I was recognizing that like a lot of the assistants, you know, the women or whatever, the way that they would mm-hmm. talk to the young girls, it was all this and all of that. Right. So, but I understand that they adapt into their environment because that's what they get all day. So they're trying to correct the behavior, like how we were saying with the same behavior. And that's why it's always this you know, this bump of heads. But like I explained to my child, at the end of the day, that's still an adult. I cannot tell you why this adult try to, or wants to act in this appropriate way with you. But you are never, you are never to go back mm-hmm. and forth with this adult. You know what you say to her? This is what I had to tell her. I don't even want to say the lady's name because my daughter had the ways of this girl, but I had to check, right? You know what you say to her? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll let my my mother know. You you can discuss it with my mother. Don't threaten her. But just let her know because you're at the age to know that when somebody is being smart or whatever, I'll say that. Okay, I'll let my mother know. And that's how I used to have to follow up with her. Told you that. How you doing? But you, but you see it articulated it correctly to your child because most children. Parents will say that to that child, but not articulate it in a way where you still be respectful. Because if I've had plenty of children It'll say to me, I'm gonna get my mother to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm get my mother to come up here for you. And I'm like, well, get her, because I'm not scared of your mother. And the first thing that the mother, because then they they go and tell the parent exactly what I said. And they'll say, Well, um, I thought it was inappropriate for you to say you're not scared of me. I'm not scared of you. Right. Child just threatened me. So what you told your child to come here to do, they took you literally. And yeah. You didn't tell them to and I'm gonna get my mother and I'm gonna bring them here. Sometimes I, I, I can be wrong. I don't even gotta say that. Just say okay. But my whole point of giving her, you know, advising her in that way because, like I told her, no matter the situation, even how you saying, yeah, they were wrong. They're an adult for being wrong. They talk wrong or whatever. You know, you're you're at the age to know when someone is talking to you inappropriate. But what I needed my child to understand is that either way- I might have been one of them, especially at your child's school, I definitely may have been one of them after school first. Okay, okay. That she probably came <laughs> on. I, but that man, he, can't, he told me, he, he my said- My child, in middle school, my child is up connections. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> next to the book, she's that's the school that I'm talking about, and that's where she is. But it's like I told her, it's never okay for you to be disrespectful because even if the grown lady or the grown man was saying something inappropriate to you, you're still a child. And guess what? And then I don't play that. The, the problem wasn't that they did something wrong, it's the reaction. Because if I'm trying to if you see me, because most times children don't understand how to negotiate situations. So if you see me trying to calm this student down and you and that student may have had a conflict, I'm going to say, have a seat. So now you're mad because I my tone to you sounded differently. But you yeah. see me trying to handle the student so he's not giving him or her not giving you problems Yes, anymore. Nate, Nate, but we you talking so in. good. <laughs> yes, we talking so good. You know, they say it's time to wrap it on up for the artist's shit. Okay, I'll be, I'll be running, money. Money don't, <laughs> money don't scare me. <laughs> but uh, say we'll you be back next week. And please check out You Better You Better Did I say it right? You Better Live. You Better Live. Your life. You Better you Live. Better live. <laughs> Every Thursday at what time? At 7. At 7 p.m. Prime time. Every yeah. Saturday, every I say every Thursday at 7 p.m. You better live with Miss Chaz. Chaz uh, come on, join Chaz Real. Come on, join us. And we come on every Friday at 7, 24 hours later. You get another batch of foolishness. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna get my three monkeys. I'm gonna put them right here. It might be foolishness, but it ain't foolishness. Oh, yeah, you can because it has like a lower level. I'm gonna bring it to you. I see you got a new um, that old school. Location, you yeah. Come yeah. I'm gonna bring yeah. it to you. I'm, I'm dead serious. I'm ready to go down to the store there. And, and I have your, I have a ticket for you for Baltimore Fashion Week for Monday. Oh, for real? With the discount for the twenty one cents. No, <laughs> real quick, we're talking about. But so Nate, it was great to here. join you. <laughs> she tried. Yeah, she did. Yeah. No, but I just called me. I, I got you, but. Um, but uh yes, I'm I'm tired. Um mm, girl, where call me. Okay. I, I might I, see you. I might see you well, then bring me your monkeys. Come on by. Yeah. Come on by 4709 Crawford Road. I'm over east now. Okay. I'm the east side. What time you there too? Um, midnight. Oh, okay. I'm getting ready for Baltimore fashion. Okay, do it. I get the work. Oh, you know it. You you know what it, you well, you about to feel it. This is about eight years in for me here, and you about to feel it because money is a handful. Mm. Round of applause. <laughs> Now I gotta see, I gotta see him everywhere. Oh, you can do it though, that's why I kept on talking.